Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. Um, I'm sure many of you know about the recent report released about the significant issue of sexual abuse and sexual abuse cover-ups in the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, it's been heavy on a lot of our hearts, and my, my heart just absolutely goes out to the victims who have had to endure abuse. I can only imagine having to endure abuse alone, let alone from the hands of a person who is claiming to be a steward of God's word, somebody who's placed in pastoral care over you to be a victim of abuse in that kind of situation is unspeakable. And um, it's it's something that I've wanted to address on the podcast ever since I've I've been kind of really following from a distance. I, I'm not part of the SBC. I, I don't know a lot of the details. I just kind of follow it from what I read online and talk to some people that are in the SBC. But I've wanted to address it on the podcast, um, at least get better informed. And I've really been careful on who I have on the podcast to even talk about it because of the sensitive nature of it. So I am going to have on two guests to talk about uh, the SBC report. My first guest is uh, J.D. Greer, who I'm having on in this podcast. Um, J.D. Greer is the pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, a very large church. J.D. has been a past president of the SBC and president when a lot of these um, allegations were coming out. And so he's he's had a front row seat in trying to navigate from a leadership position how to address this very significant issue. Uh, He's a pastor of several books that you can Google around and find out which books he's written. Uh, He has a PhD in theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and um, uh, married to his wife, and they have four children together, three girls and a boy. I also have three girls and a boy. I think our kids are around the same age, but... Um, I want to have JD on to get to give a a leadership perspective on this report, like from a leadership level in the SBC. How are they? Um, how has he processed what's been going on, and how are they going to move forward? And so that's our conversation today. And then in the next podcast episode, I'm going to talk to somebody who is a survivor of abuse in the SBC church, and I'm still trying to arrange that, so I don't. I won't release the name yet. You'll you'll find out who it is. Um, but I want to talk to somebody who's not just in leadership, but somebody who has actually been a victim of what's been going on. So um, I hope this episode uh, spreads some very necessary information. And one of my goals in doing these two podcasts, these podcast episodes, is so that the rest of us can be more equipped, more prepared, and that ultimately we can drastically, drastically reduce the number of um abuse situations that, that, you know, happen in the church. It's just, it's, it's something that all of us who are involved in Christianity, involved in the church need to be uh, very concerned about and play whatever role God has placed in us to do, uh, to, to help, um, to help us move forward in this. So please welcome to the show for the first time, J.D. Greer. Okay, hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. This is a, um, oh man, I, mean, I don't know, I don't know how to frame it. I mean, a really important podcast. Although I like to think all my podcasts are important on some level, but this one's uh, sober and serious. And um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to JD Greer about 
this uh, report that was released in the SEC about uh, sexual abuse and and correlated, I guess, cover-ups. Um, I'm not part of the SBC, never have been. Um, I not, not intentionally. JD's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, yeah. But um, anyway, so I, I just, I reached out to JD and said, Hey, would you mind helping really to walk me through what's been going on just so I have a good understanding? And um, he agreed. So thanks JD for coming on Theology and Ron. I'm actually really yeah excited yeah. about this conversation. Preston, I'm grateful, man. I appreciate your work. I'm, I'm, I listen to your podcast and grateful for a lot of the things that you've Ways you've yeah. led out that. So I'm honored to be a part of this conversation. That always scares me when people like JD Greer say they listen to my podcast. It's like people are actually listening to this thing. Um, why don't you, I, you know, can you give us a, a very basic one-on-one history leading up to this report that was released? Like for somebody that may, maybe has no clue, they're like, I don't even, I just saw some new stuff. I have no clue what's going on what's what's led up to this is this something that's really recent has this been an ongoing conversation in the sbc or so so as far as it, and I'll obviously bring my own perspective there are other people who might start the conversation a lot sooner um but when it came on my radar screen was um when the 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 days leading up to my election as sbc president in june of 2018 um, I was talking with Russ Moore and Philip Bethencourt, the ERLC, and they said, you know, um, we're just we're just hearing from some people in Southern Baptist churches that um, how they've been treated when they came forward with a report of abuse was sometimes it was just careless. You know, you, you want you want to think the people that were hearing it were had a good intentions, but just know what to do. And then other times it, it felt more it felt more you know, malicious. And I don't, when I say malicious, I don't mean let me actually keep you in a place where you're being abused, but I mean, malicious, like, you know, we should just sweep this under the rug. Let us handle this. Let us take care of it. We don't want to embarrass the church or embarrass the denomination. So when I say malicious, that's what I mean. I, okay. I, I don't, I can't name for you anybody right now on this whole deal. That's like, you know, let me figure out how to really protect abusers. I mean, it's, it's just, you're malicious where they're um, where they're they're just not thinking about the safety of the victim and they're only thinking about their idolatrous right. reputation. So um, you know, so, so so anyway, so my first act as president after being elected was uh, to to call to assemble this team that I just said I wanted it to really take a look from top to bottom. It was not all Southern Baptist on this um, in this group. Um, it was, you know, we just said, let's get the best of the best when it comes to legal, when it comes to pastoral, when it comes to professional counseling. And, and let's just, just put together a group that can study this top to bottom and recommend, because ultimately we knew it wasn't going to be policy change. It was going to be cultural change. And we talked to all kinds of survivors, me and that, that team did through this. And um, came up with a thing called the Church um, Cares Curriculum. And it was a way of getting um, churches to be able to have best practices, you know, on, on the local church level. Had a real good response to it, you know, just early on in those, those first few days as we were putting all that together. Well, then in January, February of 2019, that was when this Houston Chronicle report was released. Okay. And they um, cited 700 or so cases that they knew about of mishandled sexual abuse allegations in the SBC. 
And um, that kind of put it to a crisis level because not only was it in the national conversation, it just revealed that what we had been hearing was really just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, wow. um, I, I do think it's important to understand like this was a conversation taking place before the Houston Chronicle article came out and we already had all these pieces there, but that just really came out and sort of sent it into like, hey, this just moved from urgent to you know, nuclear. Yeah. Um, and so um, in the providence of God, it was like three weeks after this article came out or maybe two weeks, um, we had our executive committee meeting. And since, you know, you got listeners who are like, what are all these terms mean? Um, the executive committee is a group of people that uh, between conventions, the Southern Baptist, you know, ultimately the, the ones who hold the power in the Southern Baptist convention are um, the messengers in the churches. It, you know, the, the, it's, it's a bottom up structure. And so they come together once a year to vote, make big decisions. But then they, you know, by means of electing a president who then appoints, um, you know, committees to appoint trustees, um, this executive committee, um, they end up there are 86 members that run the business. And so um, I was about to address them. And that's when I basically took this article and I said, we're in a critical place. And I just, I cited 10 of the churches that were in, um, named in the, the Houston Chronicle article that were, I mean, fairly prominent churches or had a really pretty egregious violation. And I just said, you know, these churches owe us an explanation. Mm -hmm. We don't assume they're guilty, but they owe us an explanation because um, if we're going to, if we're going to say that we have doctrinal standards for coming together, as as Baptists, we also um, there needs to be understanding of 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 what we require of one another to be in fellowship that we can't show a wanton disregard for the safety of, of victims. Um, and so, you know, in in between there and when the convention met in June, um, man, it just really, um, I mean, God was working uh, this sex abuse task force that I appointed, uh, and really came up with. We had an enthusiastic response on behalf of churches and. And um, Southern Baptist entities to do this um, curriculum and to, 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 to get up to speed. Um, I really felt like, Preston, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, feels like every morning God speaks to me in my Cheerios and, yeah. you know, I'm always hearing voices whisper. But it was one of those times that very clearly the Lord said to me, um, you need to put aside any concern for your reputation and the reputation of, of this group of churches you're a part of. And mm -hmm. you need to focus entirely on these sheep that I died for. Yeah. And if you focus on that, if you focus on my children, I'll handle, I'll handle everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And so going into the convention, that was basically what I said in, in, in 2019 is we're here because of all people, we should have known that there would be, you know, false shepherds who come into the flock mm -hmm. who don't care about the sheep and are there to, I mean, Jesus told us that. And he said, you know, it's it's better for you if, you know, for you to have a millstone hung around your neck thrown into the sea than to allow one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. And what what could make somebody stumble more than somebody in the name of Christ yeah. who represents a spiritual authority abusing them? So we have plenty of warnings on this, you know, in the yeah. Bible. And um, we just had not heeded them. And we had not, um, you know, like I said, I don't think for a lot of people it was intentional, but just because of of wrong misplaced values and a lack of understanding. We hadn't, we hadn't, we hadn't yielded toward the side of like, what do we got to do to make our churches as safe as possible? Yeah. So that was 2019. Um, the convention was overwhelmingly supportive and it just really, 
you know, things happen well, um, speed up the, the, you know, the conversation a couple of years um, at last year's convention in 2021, my last year as president, because um, you basically when you get elected president, you do one term and then you can get a second term if okay. they, you know, don't hate you. And then um, but I got a bonus year because of COVID. So I was three years. So 2021, um, I'm leading. And essentially what happened there is it, it had begun to be apparent that there was some intentionality within the executive leadership, the executive committee and some of these full time Southern Baptist employees. Yeah, there was some intentionality of, of cover up. And there was enough of it that from the floor, the messengers of the SBC said, we are not satisfied with, with some of these answers. And we want there to be an independent investigation that's done where, you know, there was going to come in and expose it from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. So that led to a new task force, not the same okay. as the other one that the new president appointed, um, Ed Litton appointed. And they're um, they're the ones who hired Guidepost Solution, and they're the yeah. ones that just released this report that just came out. Um, your the Southern Matters president, one of the gap I'll fill in is I you know I, I'm not a paid um, person. I don't work full time for the SBC. It's something you do. Like I was a full time pastor, and then I led this way. So th- this report focused a lot on some of the the full time employees and some past presidents, like you saw Johnny Hunt's name in there, maybe. Maybe he's a very uh, Southern Baptist president and very prominent. So anyway, that's gotten to where we yeah. are right now. And that's that's where the conversation is. So now it's on the convention, which happens in Anaheim, uh, second week of June. Um, it's going to be to them to respond to the recommendations that this task force is making about what the next steps are, making our churches safe from abuse okay. and safe for survivors. Well, that's next. That's next week at the time of this recording, right? Uh, right. Second week of June. Right. So that's so. The, so the SBC is meeting to address the report, basically. Uh, Correct. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not meeting just to address that, but that's yeah. our annual meeting, and yeah. that'll be one of the biggest things that we address. What, did did the the independent report that was just released? Did that? Um, pretty much confirm everything that the the Houston Chronicle uh, published or were there some discrepancies or was it more was it like worse than we thought or can you maybe sum up what this independent report uh, identified? Yeah, the independent report um, reflected that um, there were a disturbing amount of cases mm-hmm. um, where Southern Baptists, both at the local church level and at you know some of the other levels had mishandled these abuse claims. I, I don't, Preston, I don't want to be on record saying that it confirmed everything the Houston Chronicle said, because I don't want to take responsibility sure. for anything Houston Chronicle. But yeah, it, it definitely confirmed that there was a need for this and there was a crisis. I mean, we would all say one case is a crisis, but right. I don't mean it just in that term. It, there was a a lack of understanding. Most pastors got into the ministry. That's one of the things I, I saw as president is most pastors got in the ministry with their desire to love and to serve God's people. And they were horrified by this. Some of them just didn't know the right way to process through these things. And it was a learning curve. Some of them, you know, had, yeah, I mean, they just, they had over time developed a greater love for the institution and the protection of their friends than they did for the people they served. But the average Southern Baptist just, you know, was, was horrified by this. And so, you know, when, um, when it, this report revealed that there was a, a handful of people in the executive leadership of the SBC, the full-time employees and on this executive committee that really had put some um, 
not just unhelpful and unnecessary obstacles, but um, just some, I mean, just they had, they, they had severely impeded the process and, 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 and these survivors had to show courage in the face of opposition from some people who were more focused on protecting the institution than on protecting God's people. And these survivors had to show some courage that they should have never had to show that we should have showed for them. And we should have been um, at, at there a lot sooner. And, you know, we, yeah. um, our churches did not serve uh, that community the way that, that our, the gospel we believe demands that be served. I, I, I so appreciate just, I don't know, just your tone and humility and, and, all this it's 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 really um impressive the so it, those senior leaders uh, has that been addressed is that i i, I would could only imagine how challenging that would be in the sbc i mean is that do you, do you feel like the sbc is making good headway in making sure that doesn't happen again um yeah so I, so first of all Preston, let's just make clear that um there's a time to talk about fixing things and to celebrate and to, <laughs> I hate to use the word justify, Yeah, but this is not that time. Right. This is a time for us to lament and to repent. And so uh, I'm going to say that as clearly as I can. And then I want to answer your question because I just right. don't want my answer of that question to be like, Oh, you know, here's all the things that are changed. Right. I mean, yeah. we are coming into Anaheim with a spirit of heaviness and just a brokenness over over, um, you know, just I mean, the fact that that there are people that, um, that some of them lost their faith and some of them were just very damaged because mm-hmm. you know, we weren't there like showing our, you know, showing up where we should have been. So that's the the spirit we carry into it. But um, to answer your question specifically, every one of the major leaders that um, was named in that report as a substantial obstacle before the God Post report came out, had either, you know, resigned or been removed. Okay. Um, and so one of the things that's encouraging in this, if you can even use that terminology, is that this all came from within the SBC. Mm-hmm. Um, the SBC is a an organization that's kind of unlike other denominations. Sometimes people don't get that. There's no authority in the SBC. You know, it, it, being like a president doesn't make me pope or bishop or cardinal. It's I don't have any authority. We, Southern Baptist Convention doesn't own any of the churches and the churches don't, you know, they're, 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 they don't submit to the SBC. It's a voluntary cooperation of churches. So the SBC had a mechanism where we could hold our leaders accountable. Just to be really candid, that, that, that couldn't happen in the Roman Catholic Church because it's a top-down organization. And so, you know, it's we are the people of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention said this is not this, our leaders do not reflect who we want to be as a people. Mm-hmm. And they have the mechanism to be able to not only call for this study, but to remove and hold accountable those leaders. So um, those leaders have resigned or been removed. There was obviously some devastating gut punch level surprises. Um, you know, the Johnny Hunt thing is a, is a great example of that. Um, I don't the, know what that is. I know that I, yeah, it's just not. I'm sorry. Okay. So Johnny Hunt was one, is one of the most popular Southern Baptists, yeah. you know, and uh, served as president very influential Baptist, a humongous church down in Woodstock, Georgia, First Baptist Woodstock, um, just, you know, has been a, a beloved leader. And it came out in there that he had, well, you know, according to him, his version of the story is a consensual um, thing. Uh, according to guideposts in the report is, is that it was, it would be in the category of 
um, you know, an abusive relationship or at least, you know, sexual harassment or, or stuff. And, okay. and so anyway, it was, uh, you know, he, uh, he stepped down from leadership immediately when that was coming out and um, would have been removed um, had he not stepped down. Um, so anyway, all that to say is all those leaders, yes, they had moved the, the executive committee that if you, if you get into the report, you'll see that one of the, the, the groups that did the most obfuscation was this executive committee, mm-hmm. um, 86 members. In my time as president, um, we appointed over half uh, were able to replace them either through resignations or whatever. So that's a, it's a different executive committee and already we can feel the effects. Like the executive committee that is right now dealing with this is not yeah. the executive committee that um, all the complaints were, were written about. So, so, so that's encouraging. So I, I do think you're seeing a, a response by the people as they hold their accountable and make the changes that are necessary. Okay. So just to get my mind around it too, like the, the allegations would, would span, as I understand it, all the way from like pastors and leaders who were actually committing abuse to pastors and leaders that might've been hearing about abuse, but kind of covering it up or, 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 or focusing on the reputation of the church above the victims all the way, maybe to pastors that, um, were just negligent, like well-intended maybe, um, like really, yeah. Oh man, I, I want to handle this well, but just weren't prepared and did, maybe didn't handle it as right. they should. Is, is that the kind of spectrum of stuff that has come up in, in the report? Um, yeah, specifically. Um, and there were some, so, so there was a few, yes, all that you said would have been in there, but um, you know, what really was um, probably to most people seemed like the most problematic thing in the report was that there were abusers who were being dismissed from churches mm-hmm. and um, pastors were not like, th- there was no list that these guys were going on. So they get hired by another church. And there was even cases where pastors who had been in leadership, you know, when they released a staff member, even gave, you know, neutral to positive references for this person Mm -hmm. or said that they were dismissed for one thing when it actually was another thing. Maybe it was two or three things together that was they would. And so they said, well, we're going to comment on this, but not this over here. And that that enabled somebody, an abuser to be in a place where they did it again. That, that, that's probably the, the most difficult. Then there was, you know, on the executive committee, you had people who were, I mean, essentially, um, you know, blaming the, the victim, you know, kind of thing. There was, oh, there was a culture yeah, yeah. of that. Then there was also, you know, there's one really heartbreaking case where um, a prominent Southern Baptist female employee had been sexually abused and, the story that was told about her was basically that it was consensual and it was official. That was sort of the official communication of Baptist when it was not. And, um, and even after it it was a long time of like fighting to get them to retract it. And even with the, when it finally was retracted, it just, it it, it did not speak, you know, kind of repentance and and humility. It was just sort of like a save face and move on kind of posture. What so what is why the SBC or I guess I got kind of two pronged question. Um, do you think or do you know or maybe I don't know? Like, is this pretty much common among all denominations or even non denominational churches, and it just hasn't come out yet? Or is there something intrinsic to the SBC why this seems to be the optics of it so prevalent in the SBC in particular? Um, I don't know if that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um... I don't, I don't think I would say that. And I don't think that's really, I mean, 
in fact, one of the most dangerous thing you can do is to say that's their theology or that's their culture. It doesn't happen here. A lot of us made that mistake with the Catholics. Well, you right, know, Catholics right. can't get married. That's why they abuse people. Right. And that's why we don't have that problem. Um, and like I said at the beginning, we, of all people, we should have known that there would be people who shepherds who come in and, and abuse the flock, as Jesus told us that. Um, you know, there are some people who want to say, well, it's because, you know, you're complementarian and you uh-huh. believe that men lead in the home and, and lead in the church. But, you know, obviously that's not healthy complementarianism. And, you know, somebody brings that up and you, man, the, the, the quickest way to be blind to what's happening in your midst is to say something like that. I mean, Bill Hybels that, you know, he's clearly not a complementarian and, there, you know, there was those things. So um, I think anywhere that you have people in positions of power, the fallen human heart is yeah. going to leverage that power for, you know, selfish purposes and so I think a wise structure, whether you're talking about a denomination or a church, has leaders that are accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the pastor of a church now, I, you know, it is very important to me that I'm not in charge of my elder board. Um, I lose votes to my elders. Um, I, that's very important because while, you know, I mean, I'm telling you there's nothing that I'm hiding. I, I need to make sure, you know, I need to make sure that things like David Pallison used to say, things that grow in a secret garden always grow mutant. And when you have unchecked, unaccountable authority, it will grow mutant. I don't want that at our church. And I don't want that in the convention I'm a part of. Now, again, if, if, if you understand, I'm not trying to justify anything. What I'm trying to say is I'm grateful that in this association of churches, um, it is, it is a bottom-up structure where ultimately the, 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 the people hold their leaders accountable and not vice versa. Cause I think leaders with power go corrupt quicker than, yeah, than yeah. a large body of people do. So, so yeah. Cause, so that's the accusation that SBC has gotten that it's your complementarian theology. That is, that is a breeding ground for this kind of stuff, which if that's true, I mean, the PCA is complementarian, EV free is complementarian. There's other many non-denominational churches are complementarian. Um, and either there's similar stuff going on there or, or it hasn't come out yet, or or maybe it's not endemic simply to well, and, and we have to distinguish between unbiblical forms of complementarianism that are right. very much unbiblically hierarchical and devalue women and right. um uphold male um unhealthy forms of, of leadership versus a I mean, as I read the Bible, and if I read it through a complementarian lens, it's just I mean there is no kind of like top down CEO hierarchical, you know, like, <laughs> um, right. so I, I, I do get, I don't know. I, and I, I want to think this more. I don't want, I, I don't want to speak too strongly, but I, I don't know. I, I do want to at least make a distinction between um, biblical healthy forms of a right. certain theology versus abuses to that uh, theology. What goes, under the, the label, what goes under the label and this, you could argue this is not a fair label, but it goes under the label patriarchy. Yeah, where you really have—I mean, you may give a head nod to men and women being equal, but in reality, yeah, you know, the man exists in some kind of unchallenged authority, and the woman is really only in a servant role, you know, in, right. in whether we're talking the home or the organization. Yeah, that's an unbiblical and unhealthy um, uh, version of patriarchy. What 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 a healthy version of that is, and what I would myself believe is that 
you know, there is um, equality in the essence and the image of God. Right. And then in, in various spheres, God assigns, um, you know, leadership relationships. And, um, you know, just because there's a bad version of that leadership doesn't mean the very concept of leadership is wrong. And right. as you see with things, and I'm not trying to pick on him or anybody, but as you see with, you know, someone like, you know, the, all the stuff that came out with, with, uh, with Bill Hybels and others, yeah. again, I'm yeah. not weighing in on the allegations of what true or, or, or not, but what right. you see is at least the, um, the accusations that people in those structures, even with all the, you know, kind of as, as egalitarian as you could get, you still have people, if they're in unchecked places of power that will leverage the power they have for, you know, money, yeah. sex, whatever it is that, that uh, do that. And that's just not a healthy system. We should yeah. not be. Nobody was made to be unaccountable. Yeah, yeah. And, and even the, I mean, the Me Too movement, and we can go outside the church and in secular spaces where complementarianism is a thing, Harvey Weinstein and others, where it's just like you give right. people the power, especially I would say men in particular are, would be more prone to this for various reasons. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's, I, yeah, I, I'm initially, I think I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> Again, I want to think through, you thought through it more than I have, but that you put any fallen human um, in a position of unchecked power and uh, whatever the, the ecclesiology is, that's just a bad, a bad recipe for disaster. Well, I, right now, you know, you're here, your listeners can hear this, but right now I'm doing the Jedi mind trick on you saying, yes, Preston. <laughs> you know, these are not the droids. So you agree with me? Yeah. Well, it, it, there, there's a parallel in the in the work that I do with um. You know, I you know I've heard it's it's a common counter argument to like a traditional Christian view of marriage that would say the traditional Christian view of marriage and sexuality is intrinsically homophobic and it it fosters Christian parents in in. in like helping them kick their gay kids out of the home when they come out as gay. It it yeah. enables parents to force their kids into reparative therapy or whatever. Like, I'm like, well, I, I just, th th those might be abuses to the traditional theology, but I don't see anything in Genesis one and two, where I would look at Genesis one and two and then turn and say, all right, 15 year old daughter, I'm going to kick you out of the home because you said you're bisexual or something like that. Right. That just doesn't flow directly from Taking a one truth in the Bible at the expense of the other truths. Right. So when people say, well, you're taking the Bible too seriously, and that's why complementarians be, I'm like, no, you're not taking the Bible seriously enough. Right. Because yeah. the same thing that talks about the complementary roles also says that you regard the needs and interests of mm -hmm. the other people as more important than your own. And it says that you are laying down your life for them like Christ laid down. You that part of the Bible is equally as important as you know right. anything that teaches the complementary part. So right, right. as you look back, JD, um, in your tenure as president and just through this whole thing, what would you, can you identify maybe off the top of your head, some things that you feel like you and the executive leaders or just leaders in the SBC have done well through all this? And maybe some things looking back, like, oh man, I wish we had done this better. Is there any kind of pro and con that you kind of reflect upon now? Um, well, um, I mean, you know, when I look back, I'm very grateful that in the providence of God, he brought this to our attention early. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't like I was, as I mean, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now. So I, I was aware this was happening, but because of just some of what our own church has experienced, we've had cases, but it, it may, it wasn't on my radar as much as it should have been. And I'm grateful that in God's sovereignty, the right voices were there and I'm grateful we listened to them and I'm grateful we started, you know, this, I, I think the events have just affirmed that that was, it was a, 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 a time 
whose moment had come. I don't know how not to say in answer to your question. I mean, the biggest regret is we didn't we didn't get there sooner. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, we, whether you say, well, you weren't in leadership then. Yeah. But I mean, there were and these are our people. These are are, are, are the ones that God has entrusted to us. And um, if we're going to serve a savior who laid down his life for the sheep, then mm-hmm. you just lament. I mean, you know, when when I hear somebody, um, Preston, start to defend why they, you know, aren't guilty. Um, and by the way, I, yeah, I understand like it's, it's wrong to give false accusation or false to blame people, but I kind of look at it like, I mean, I have three daughters and one son. If I heard that one of my kids had been abused um, as their dad, I, I don't care if like there was no way that I could have known. Yeah. I'm still going to sit down with my daughter and say, I, 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 I was the one who was appointed to protect you mm-hmm. at this stage of your life. And I, I, I'm sorry, I failed. I'm broken over that. So this is not a time for, you know, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. This is a time for I should have done more to make sure that you were protected. And yeah. I, I take responsibility for that. That's what it means to be a leader in a church. Just a couple of questions. I know we're, we're on a bit of a time constraint here. Um, it, w- any advice to the leader? I mean, a lot of people listening are maybe not part of the SBC. Maybe they're in a non-denominational church or a denominational church. Like what kind of lessons can the rest of the church learn from what you guys have had to uh, deal with? Yeah, one is um, it, it, we all share the same humanity. And uh, it's one of the most consistent things you can rely on is the doctrine of total depravity that we, even those of us who have been redeemed, are going to um, trend without the other graces that God keeps in our lives. We're going to trend you know, toward a, a wrong direction. You, you, you probably know the name Paul Tripp. Um, yeah, who is, yeah. And I, I mean, it was after one of these, another one of these stories had come out with one of these mega pastors that you know, just got caught in whatever scandal of the day. And I asked him, I just, we were backstage at an event and I just said, I said, Paul, I mean, like, why, what's, what is it with these mega pastors since, you know, technically I am one and why? And he said, remember, I never forget. He said, well, there's two things that, that happened. He said, number one is these guys, um, they start to lose peer accountability. Yeah. Or any, he actually said peer community. He said they're they're extroverts usually, so they have lots of people around them. Mm-hmm. But people who can really look them in the eye and speak to them as equals. And he says the ones that do end up having these guys scattered around the country, and they do a Zoom call, you know, for three, you know, for an hour every three months. He's like, you just there's just no way that 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 people can see in your life like that. He said and that brings us to the second problem, and that is that um, he says they forget that even after you're redeemed, Paul says, Romans 7, that your flesh is still mm-hmm. wretched. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I am redeemed. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm thankful I'm not who I used to be, but I still got this flesh. And I know that left unchecked, this flesh will lead me into whatever idolatries, same ones I had before I, I was saved. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know I need that that pure accountability. I need the, the, the constant application of the gospel in my life, lest the very things happen yeah. in the organization I lead, whether you're leading a hundred people, 10 people or 10,000 people. That's, so, that's yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, as you said, that's, that, to me, that sounds more compelling, like rather than saying it's intrinsic to all forms of complementarianism, I would say, I, I'm not sure about that, but intrinsic to certain ecclesiologies that do have 
an mm. unhealthy protection around some kind of senior leader, especially when that senior leader has power, prestige, celebrityism, like few humans can handle that well on their own. That's right. Like, you know, so, so there is an ecclesiological piece, which again, I would say that's, that's an unhealthy, probably unbiblical ecclesiology that has that kind of very hierarchical, um, especially, I mean, senior, yeah, senior people that do gain some kind of celebrity status platform typically have a charismatic personality. They're typically an Enneagram, maybe eight or, or just, type a and driven and, and, and sometimes that personality, it's, it is harder to be humble. Right. And say, Hey, if you see anything in my life, tell me, and to really truly receive that. Like um, my wife and I've had to make intentional decisions as our church has gotten bigger and my platform has gotten wider. And we felt like, you know, we're trying to be faithful to God. And as he expands the platform, you know, it felt like, okay, we're trying to say yes and, and be willing, but you know, my wife has been a great blessing because she has consistently trumpeted that quality and health are never found on the stage or the size of the platform. They're always found in the small group relationships. I'm sitting yeah. right now in my home and I moved into this neighborhood with two other families um, within walking distance because they know when things with my wife and I aren't going well. They know when they're straining our family and um, that th- there is a tendency in all leaders to back away and to get isolated because mm-hmm. people don't understand the pressures you're under and you don't like to be challenged. And But we just we've said we intentionally want to cultivate those things because God made us for God did not make anybody. I don't care who you are. Yeah. He did not make us for the stage. Yeah. He made us for community. That's good. Um, so it's really good. One, one more quick question. The the all the the victims, the survivors, how, how are they being? Uh, cared for and, and I guess like are they I'm, I'm and again it's probably a wide range of reactions but are they like I don't know what right word like um, positive about how things are being handled from their perspective is there still is there so much pain and hurt that it's just like no matter how you guys move forward it's almost hard to rectify that or yeah in general I guess how, how are they being cared for and listened to and yeah some of some of them are going to feel that way um, are they're going to feel like it's just, you know, too little, too late. And some of them are, I mean, after you've been through a, a season of your life like that, I mean, how do you, Yeah. you know, there's, there's no way. And, and your heart is broken over that. Um, I, I certainly would not want to speak, you know, for the survivor community, they each right. need to be able to give their own reactions to it. Um, I know some that um, have been a part of the dialogue process and they're encouraged by where it's going. I know others that you know, wish that we were seeing different things. Um, there's going to be as far as how to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of what this uh, task force will recommend, both in terms of preventative care. Um, here's how you actually care on the local level, you know, a, in a local church with somebody who's been through this. Um, there's also, you know, questions about reparative care, you know, like when when this caused this in your life, what what are the responsibilities of those who who were responsible, you know, is there a way that they can help assist in that? And so yeah. a lot of those things are what are being discussed now as we think, what is the right, um, what are the, you know, what did Jesus say that or John the Baptist, what are the, the fruits of repentance and what do they look like in this moment? Yeah. JD, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate um, your perspective and, and we'll certainly be praying for this next meeting this next week. And um, yeah, I just really hope that Christ is magnified and people are healed, you know, as much as that's possible through a yeah. really gnarly situation. So yeah, thanks for your time well, and all you, your, all your for honesty. Caring enough to ask. Yeah. All right. Take care, man. You too.